We come this morning to the second half of Acts chapter 5. We've been walking through the book of Acts in a series that I've entitled, The Power to Change the World. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, you can begin turning to the New Testament book of Acts in chapter 5. And uh, we'll begin in verse 12 and go through the end of the chapter to verse 42, uh, a fairly lengthy passage and story this morning. Um, This scripture, this passage, gives us an incredible picture of Jesus' church on mission. And so as we look at what happened these many years ago, we want to allow the Lord to move in our hearts, and I pray that God would challenge and encourage our hearts this morning about what does that look like for us as believers, as the church of Jesus Christ today in 2021 to be a church on mission. Uh, I read an article this week in uh, the blog Christ and Culture, which is by Pastor James Emery White, Um, And I want to read to you a portion of it this morning. He says this, a survey of more than 15,000 religious congregations across the U.S. by faith communities today fielded just before the pandemic lockdowns. This is a survey before the pandemic was recently released. It found a median decline in attendance of 7% between 2015 and 2020. It gets worse It also found that half of the country's estimated 350,000 religious congregations had 65 or fewer people in attendance on any given weekend. In 2000, when FACT first began surveying data, the median attendance level was 137. That's a drop of more than just half uh, in two decades. And before you think that this is reflective of only mainline Protestant groups, as opposed to more theologically conservative evangelical groups, think again, he says. Yes, mainline churches are worse off, but evangelicals reflect the median, which is 65. In other words, this decline is across the board. So what's the problem? Why are churches of any and every stripe in such steep decline? It's a question we must ask. It would be easy to blame the cultural context, but that would be mistaken. That is the the line of thinking of, oh, well, the world's just going to hell. The real reason was revealed in a recent survey of churches conducted in Canada that found that 65% of church leaders say that evangelism hasn't been a priority for their congregations over the last several years. In fact, only 9% said it was a high priority for members of their congregation to share their faith. And again, before you think the survey was focused on mainline churches, think again. The majority of those surveyed came from evangelical traditions, including leaders from Baptist churches, Pentecostal churches, the Christian and Missionary Alliance, the Evangelical Free Church, the Church of the Nazarene, Foursquare Church, the Salvation Army, etc. Insert Presbyterian Church in America here. So let's be clear. The church is in decline because we are turned inward instead of outward. He writes, our hearts are not breaking for what breaks the heart of God, which is people facing a Christless eternity. And sadly, only a simple invite is all that is often needed. Come and see. Come and hear. Come and explore with me. I've long been taken by something Penn Gillette of the famed Penn and Teller magic and comedy duo once said in a video blog. He said, I'm an atheist. I don't respect people who don't evangelize. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and that people could be going to hell, how much do you have to hate somebody to not evangelize? Apparently, a lot, writes James Emery White. 
our scripture today has much to say about this topic that was explored in this article. Words of conviction, I pray, as well as very much words of encouragement. The Bible is going to remind us here once again that Jesus has come, which means salvation has been made available, and that we as believers have been commanded and invited to share the same good news that we've experienced with others. It is a reminder that Jesus' mission to bring glory to His Father by saving lives eternally will not fail. And that is what we're going to see this morning, that Jesus' mission will not fail fail. So let's take a moment and let's pray over God's Word before I begin reading the Scripture to us this morning. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we submit ourselves to Your Word this morning. We pray that You might challenge and encourage us. Father, we thank You that all grace, all hope, all life is in Jesus. Lord, there is nothing that we can do on our own, and yet by Your grace and by Your mercy, we are told in Scripture that we can do all things. And so, Father, would you fill our hearts with a deep reminder of your love this morning that would drive us not only to continue to draw near to you, but, Lord, that our hearts might be drawn towards others to share that same love and good news as well. And, Father, we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Beginning in verse 12 this morning, let me open by reading verses 12 through 16. Uh, we're going to walk through the passage piece by piece, and I'm going to give you four encouragements this morning for how we might join in Jesus' mission. Verses 12 through 16 now from the book of Acts in chapter 5. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted, afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed." Number one, as we get this introductory remark from Luke, the writer of Acts, is this, Jesus' mission will be accomplished despite our sins and failures. Jesus' mission will be accomplished despite our sins and failures. Do you realize, believer, that God is always working even when you fail? Even when I fail, He is not limited by my mistakes or your mistakes. Do you realize that it is His power and not our own power that brings success, spiritual success? So do you see what is happening here in Acts chapter 5, what God is doing? What God is doing is bringing renewed blessing to His people. If you were with us last week, you will recall that we covered the first half of Acts chapter 5, which is a very dark story about Ananias and Sapphira, who were believers in the church, living as hypocrites, deceiving those around them, and even lying to the Holy Spirit, we are told. They twisted the Lord's mission as much as the Lord allowed them to, and so God brought immediate judgment on them and on the church for their sin. Ananias and Sapphira literally dropped dead in the moment. And the Bible says that the believers were terrified, as well they should have been. This is the immediate follow-up. 
that yes, God is absolutely a God of justice, perfect justice, but he is also a God of perfect mercy. And in this moment, we are seeing that God is bringing renewed blessing and mercy to his people. Has God left his people because of their failures? No. Will he leave you when you fail? No. Has God given up because Satan successfully tempted? Or has God given up because God's people sinned and he was surprised? No, he will not, and he cannot. We're told here immediately that there's actually more miracles happening now in this moment than there were before. We're told that believers are still faithfully gathering together in worship, and they're still faithfully sharing their faith. And as a result, not of their efforts or their ability, not because they cleaned up their act, but because of God's grace, people are walking away from the fake. They're walking away from the outwardly religious. They're walking away from the self-righteous. They're walking away from from false worldviews that plague them. They're walking away from the empty pursuit of money and power, and they're coming to the Lord Jesus for salvation instead. Let it be the same with us and with our world today. The Bible says more people were being saved than ever before, that multitudes of men and women were coming to Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And, and don't, don't miss this, Luke sort of slides it in at the end, the gospel is now for the first time beginning to spread outside of the city of Jerusalem. If we remember Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 is the key verse that really illuminates the entire book of Acts and that promise again from the lips of Jesus was this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is very much an order. They're beginning at ground zero, Jerusalem, but now Jesus' promise has begun to be fulfilled because people in towns outside of the city of Jerusalem are hearing the good news. And they're coming, and they're believing, and so Judea is beginning to experience the truth of the gospel. It's a question for us today is very much the same. Are you on mission with Jesus? Are you a part of His mission? I believe as we think about outward attacks and inward internal attacks, I think for us as a church today, the major internal attack, the major failure or sin, the major hypocrisy, if you will, within the church today is our lack of evangelism, that we have the truth and we do not share it. And brothers and sisters, we need to repent. Would that be because of apathy? Would that be because of of fear or distraction? Whatever it may be, are we sharing the simple message of salvation in Jesus with others? You notice that these Christians here in Acts, they could have given up on Jesus. They could have given up on Jesus' mission because someone inside the church was a hypocrite. It's a very popular notion among us today that we ought to give up on Christ and His church because someone inside the church was a a hypocrite. They could have quit too because of their own sinful shortcomings. Man, I just don't love people well. I don't know how to share the gospel. I'm not good at it. Or I don't even lead my own uh, family well, so I'll just quit. But notice that that is not their response, that Christ's love actually begins to move in them afresh. And through that, 
they recognize through the haze of their own failures that God's power and grace is what saved them in the first place. And so God's power and grace continues to be faithful even to this day to continue to save others. And so their response and our response ought to be, Lord, use me. Take me, place me wherever you want to, use me however you want to, but use me to extend the truth of the gospel. My hope is not in my ability. My hope is in your grace and your faithfulness, Lord Jesus. And so use me knowing that, Lord, your plans, your purposes, and your mission cannot and will not be defeated even when I fail, even when I sin. How good is God's grace? Let's continue in our passage, picking up in verse 17. I want to read to us verses 17 through 28 now in chapter 5. The Bible says this, but the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they weren't there. They did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name, the name of Jesus, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Number two this morning, Jesus' mission will be accomplished despite persecution. Understand the promises of Scripture and the reality of who God is. Jesus' mission will be accomplished despite persecution. It is inevitable that there will be a collision of the forces of Satan and darkness and evil with God's people. It is not a one-time moment in Acts. It is an everyday moment. It is a worldwide moment. The attackers are always scary people. They're always powerful people. If you were with us when we saw the first round of persecution in Acts chapter 3, we went through a list of 11 different groups of people in authority, political authority, social authority, religious authority, and all of them are against Jesus, and their message then in Acts 3 is the same as it is now in Acts chapter 5, do not talk about Jesus. Luke tells us, interestingly though, here, he gives us an inside picture of what's going on with these authorities, those in power. It says that they're jealous. Have you ever thought about it that way? Those that are opposed to Christ, they're jealous. 
it seems to be that the heart condition that they're wrestling with is the same one that Ananias and Sapphira at the beginning of Acts chapter 5 had, which is they had a great desire to be well-known, to be recognized, and to have glory. They wanted it to be about themselves. So they're, they're jealous because it's Jesus' name that is being lifted up and honored rather than their own name. They're jealous because the people were following Jesus and Jesus' apostles rather than following them. They wanted glory. But believer, understand, the only way to experience glory is to align your lives with the King of kings and the Lord of lords who has glory and gives glory. Glory is found in Christ, never in one's self. And so when, they, when the authorities couldn't stop the apostles with their threats, they moved to force. It'll always be that way. Whether it's in your school classroom or it's across the sea in another country, they'll begin with threats, and when words don't work, they will move to force because that's all that they have. But you notice here, because so many lives are being changed, because the general public is so amazed by what the gospel is, even if they don't understand it yet, these authorities have to move with caution because they know if they hurt the apostles too much that they themselves could be stoned. So they say again, we gave you strict orders. Don't talk about Jesus. Don't speak in his name. And then they add this, you're determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. In other words, why do you keep blaming us for, for Jesus' death? Listen to these exact same people in Matthew. If you have your Bible, stick a finger in Acts chapter 5 and flip back to Matthew chapter 27. The very, almost the very end of Matthew Listen to their own words. Matthew chapter 27, verse 24 and 25. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water. Remember this scene? He took water and washed his hands before the crowd. A meaningless effort on Pilate's part, by the way. I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. It's not my fault. That doesn't hold up in the, in the courts of the Lord, but that was his opinion that day. Verse 25, and all the people answered, same people that are now persecuting the apostles, his blood be on us and our children. What a brokenhearted statement. Oh, you don't want to kill Jesus? We'll take care of it. Let his blood, let his guilt be on us and our children. You know that Jesus says the exact opposite, doesn't he? Let your guilt and the guilt of your children be on me by my blood. Jesus has come to change lives, change hearts. These people are guilty. They know it, but their hearts are hard. The beginning of coming to know Christ is to admit, I am a sinner. I cannot do it on my own, but I will lean on Jesus and His grace and mercy. It is available. They don't want it. Rather than turn to Jesus in repentance, which they could have done in that very moment, they arrest the apostles and they beat them. They dig their heels in. Maybe you've dug your heels in with the Lord before. That's what they're doing. As I shared earlier, November 7th is International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. According to Voice of the Martyrs, who put together this film that was actually established by the main characters in this movie, Richard and Sabina Wormbrand, in 2021... There are 41 countries where Christianity is defined as restricted. That means that there is government-sanctioned harassment, loss of liberty, imprisonment, or killing. 
and there are another 19 countries defined as hostile, which means that Christians are routinely persecuted in much the same ways, but there is some measure of government protection available to those believers, albeit inconsistently. 60 countries today in 2021 where it is dangerous or life-threatening to speak the name of Jesus. We need to pray. The greatest power that we have is to pray. Peter himself in the garden went to pick up a sword, and Jesus says, put down your sword, Peter. I will bring the victory, but join me. So what we do is we call upon King Jesus by the power of His Holy Spirit and ask that He would protect, that He would defend, that He would bring justice, that He would pour out mercy, and that the lost would be saved. I want to encourage you to grab some of the resources that are there in the back of the room so that you and your family can be praying this month. A collision between Satan and his forces and God's people was inevitable. But the victory of King Jesus was inevitable. It was inevitable. Your metal bars, they will not stop me. If we could have gone back to that moment, that's what the believers would have said. That is what they are saying here. Either the Lord will deliver me and I will go right back to sharing the gospel in the same public forum that I was, or the Lord will choose not to deliver me. And while I am in this prison, I will evangelize every single prisoner and prison guard and you cannot stop me. That was their response. You cannot stop Jesus and in this situation, the Lord does not always, but there are three times like this in the book of Acts where the Lord sends one of his angels and opens the prison doors to free the believers because God can deliver his people anytime he wants, anytime he wants. And then they are commanded to do what? Go right back where you were. Go to the same place where they said, you can't talk about Jesus here, go back and keep talking, not in arrogance, but in grace. Go stand in the temple courts and tell the people about new life. Believer, do not give up on people that you are sharing the gospel with. You don't know the Lord's timing. You don't know His plans or His purposes. Just keep talking and living out the gospel of Jesus Christ. Persecution throughout history has always made the church stronger and brought new people to faith. The mission of Jesus will not be stopped by persecution. Continue on in the Scripture, Acts chapter 5. Now, this is verses 29 through 32, which highlights our third reality and encouragement this morning. Verse 29, But Peter and the apostles answered. They made the threat. This is Peter's response. We must obey God rather than men. This is the second time he said exactly that. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Number three, our encouragement this morning, Jesus' message is compelling and clear. Jesus' message is both compelling and it is clear. 
Peter says we must obey God rather than men. They say, stop preaching and teaching about Jesus. And yet again, his response is, nah. No. I can't and I won't. He says we're compelled. We're compelled by God's love and by his mercy and by his power. We're compelled by the reality of lives that we see changed. We're compelled by the people that we know, the millions who have not heard the good news of Jesus yet. We're compelled. We're compelled by the reality of heaven and of hell. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says this, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. And so believer, you may very often come to that point where you say, well, what am I supposed to tell people? What is the message? You keep talking about the good news of the gospel. What is it that I'm supposed to say? Peter does an interesting thing here. He gives us four little points. He starts with resurrection. Jesus rose from the dead so that you can too. Then he goes to crucifixion. We are all guilty because of sin. We deserve to be hanging on that cross, but Jesus went to the cross so that you would not have to. Then he goes to the ascension, that Jesus is not only alive, That Jesus is king now. That Jesus is seated on his throne now. And then he goes through a response. He says, the response to this great love and power, the response is to repent, to turn back to Jesus and away from the sins that so easily entangle us and to accept the free offer of forgiveness that he is making to you. Now is the time, not tomorrow, not next week, not next month, not when your schedule allows for it, but now is the time to say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I want eternal life. I know that you've offered it. I know that I deserve eternal death. Save me from my sins. It is that simple. It is that clear. But it is compelling, too. For us as believers, it is compelling. Peter says we are his witnesses in our family, in our jobs, in our school, in our neighborhoods, in our streets, in the store, in the public square, in the unexpected opportunities. I will not let fear of not knowing what to say or fear of rejection or fear of those in power or fear of cultural pushback keep me from sharing the good news that saves lives eternally. I just want to share because the gospel is compelling and it is clear. Believers here at New City, our mission is to glorify God by being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. That's the mission. Fourth and finally, let's look at the the, the final passage here. This is verses 33 through 42. Peter says, I'm not going to be quiet. Verse 33, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. That didn't go well. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up, 
claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Verse 41, then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Fourth and finally, Jesus' mission brings true joy, even in suffering. Jesus' mission brings real joy, even in suffering. The joy comes because the message is true and unstoppable. And even Gamaliel, who doesn't know Jesus, recognizes that reality clearly. He makes the point, listen, there was another guy who claimed to be a Messiah. His name was Theodos. He rose up. He did his thing. He died. Guys, he's dead. And all the people who followed him, they scattered. There was another guy, Judas the Galilean. He rose up, claimed he was the Messiah. He's dead. And all the people scattered. You see the differences. Jesus is not dead. He's alive, and his followers will not be scattered. So let's leave them alone, he says, and maybe this movement of Christians will prove what it really is. He had no idea. Gamaliel's advice is true, but it's incomplete, isn't it? What he should have done is say, guys, uh, we need to get to the heart of the matter here. We must investigate fully. Is Jesus who he says he is, and is what these guys saying true? Because if it's really true, if Jesus really rose from the dead, then he really is the Messiah, then he really is the Savior, and we are wrong. And we must repent and stop opposing God and turn to him instead and say, forgive me, I was wrong. There is nothing harder in the human heart than that, is there? I was wrong. We don't like to say that, but that is where they should have gone. There's true joy in knowing that the gospel is true and unstoppable, and there's true joy in knowing that you can suffer with and for the name of Jesus. The word here in English is beating, but if we go back to the Greek, it is much more likely that this is flogging that is taking place. Okay, this is not just a slap across the face. This is being whipped with a whip filled with glass and rock, and your flesh is torn out as you are whipped. This is no minor beating that these guys received. They inflicted serious pain, and they would have borne those scars for Jesus for the rest of their lives. And then the threat came again. Stop talking about Jesus. What would you do? Stop talking about Jesus. What will you do? Richard and, and Sabina, the, the lead characters in the movie preview that we saw earlier, Richard's story is told in his autobiography, Tortured for Christ. It was a book I read in high school that was one of many stories of believers suffering in persecution that changed my life and encouraged me. 
Richard spent 14 years in a communist Russian prison camp because he would not stop talking about Jesus. Uh, Kent Hughes writes about Richard Wormbrand and says this, when he was in a Romanian prison, his tormentors ripped chunks of flesh out of him and he had the scars to prove it. He was sentenced to solitary confinement and for weeks or even months on end, no one would speak to him in his tiny cell. Amazingly, during all of that, there were times when he was overcome with joy. He would actually stand up in his weakened state and dance around his cell, confident that the angels were dancing with him. He was released from prison unexpectedly, and as he left the prison, dressed like a scarecrow with his teeth rotted and in terrible shape, he met a peasant woman on the road carrying a basket of beautiful strawberries. When she offered him one, he started to take it, but then said, no thanks, I'm going home to fast. He went home to his wife, and they prayed and fasted as a memorial to the joy he had experienced in prison, asking God for the same kind of joy outside. Of prison. Philippians chapter 3, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Let's pray together.